when I was in grade four, if I remember correctly, our teacher gave us an assignment that we were to speak in a couple of weeks, had to prepare a speech, deliver it to the whole class. So soon the day arrived and uh, a number of my fellow students were called upon. They came to the front, they unfurled a piece of paper, they read it from the front, and he started with the A's and worked through the B's and C's, and he finally got to the K's, and that's when the teacher called out, if I remember correctly, Stephen Kerr, please come to the front and give your speech. No word of a lie, that was the moment I first realized that I was to give a speech to. It just dawned on me. I was totally and utterly unprepared, fumbled through the story of breaking my arm the previous year on the fly and sat down. It was a train wreck. And you might, you know, assume that there was something to be learned there, but no. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm 12 now. I'm about to be baptized on Sunday night at my church. A few of us are gowned up and we're in a back room where there's a doorway to the baptism tank. The baptism tank is sort of above the stage at the church. And uh, there's this girl my age named Evangeline and mercifully she's about to be baptized before me. So after the first song, she walks down into the baptism tank and she unfolds a piece of paper and upon which is written her testimony, she begins to speak. And it's a beautiful speech, you know, about how God has worked in her young life, bringing her to this important moment of obedience. And hand on my heart, this is the first moment I realized that I was supposed to give a speech as well. So after she's baptized, I descend into the baptism uh, tank and the pastor says, so Steve, what's your story? And I, I do remember this very, very well. Trauma will do that to you, you know? And I said, you know, I said something like, well, you know, I thought maybe I should get baptized and I talked to my dad about it and he said it was okay. So, and I'm, you know, racking my brain for what I should say next. So here I am. Yeah, that's how I did it. Not a word about Jesus, not a word about God, you know, again, another train wreck. And again, you would assume maybe there's a lesson to be learned in all of that. And again, you would be wrong. Fast forward now about a decade and uh, I'm sitting beside my bride at the reception of our wedding. <laughs> it's the happiest day of my life. Everybody is making these beautiful speeches, right? The best man gives a speech, maid of honor, my parents, Krista's parents, they all stand at the front, unfurl the proverbial piece of paper and deliver a prepared speech. And I'm sitting there beside Krista, loving every minute of it. And then there's this little lull in the program and that's when my bride jabs me in the ribs and she says, and I quote, now it's your turn as God is my witness. That was the first inkling that I had that maybe I was supposed to give a speech to. And so Krista had written up detailed instructions and had given them to everybody who got off the plane in Saskatchewan when they arrived. And I'm, I'm guessing that the speech was probably mentioned in that document, right? But in my defense, there was a lot of information there and I didn't read it. So that day at the reception, I stood up there and I stammered through something in the moment. I can't remember what I said, another train wreck. So here's the thing. If you look back on the genesis of my speaking career, so to speak, this is not an auspicious start, right? You might even think 
uh, that I would never be allowed to do something like this, you know, on any kind of a regular basis. But that's where you have to always factor in the wild card. The wild card for all of us is this. God can do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. We can do that which we wouldn't ordinarily do because I'm talking here now about the gifting and about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as you can expect then, when I began speaking in public ministry, this was something that I couldn't do. I felt that God was calling me to it. And there was probably some natural talent too, but I was failing often due to a lack of preparation. <laughs> no surprise. So another train wreck as well. I've been through a couple of years of Bible college at this point. I knew that there was this person that the Bible called the Holy Spirit. Not a force, not a feeling, but a third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I heard that the Holy Spirit might be able to help me and fill me to empower me to do his ministry with his power and not my power, which I was learning is no power. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I was afraid of him. What if the Holy Spirit makes me weird, right? I'm already weird enough, you know? I don't need any help in that department, you know? What should I do? Do I seek the filling of the Holy Spirit to help me to do this ministry that God has given me? Should I ask the Holy Spirit to take control of my life? Or should I just kind of putter along with my own strength? I don't know if any of you can kind of relate to that dilemma. How many of you know that <clears throat> you need power to live the Christian life as it should be lived? How many of you know that you need a supernatural power to break free from some addicted behavior or to break free from some negative thinking patterns, right? You don't have to put your hand up, but if you're like me, you probably know that you've got this dilemma because you've heard that the Holy Spirit is given to enable you to live a new life, but, but you're hesitant. Maybe you're even afraid of the Holy Spirit. And if there's someone in that category today, I want you to know that we're gonna find out through the verses that Eugene just read, that you have nothing to be afraid of. In fact, Jesus ends that passage that was read to us by saying, don't be afraid. You can trust the Holy Spirit. So in that passage Eugene read, Jesus is with his disciples, as he said, in the upper room. This is just before his death on the cross. He's warning them that he's about to die. And he's preparing them to take over this ministry, this work that he began. And like me, when I started out in ministry, and like most of us at many times in our lives, the disciples are feeling inept. They're feeling like they can't do this that Jesus is calling them to do. They know that they can't continue the movement that Jesus began. And Jesus knows that too. See, these guys taking over the ministry that Jesus has been doing for the previous three years is a train wreck waiting to happen. And so Jesus promised them that he would send them someone who would come, who would live not just with them, but within them. And the word that describes this empowering person is the word paraclete in Greek. 
A paraclete is literally a word that means to come alongside someone to help them. The NIV translates this the advocate. Other English translations call him the counselor or the comforter. And I would say that the Holy Spirit is all of those things and more because what we need for holy living, what we need for effective service, he is there to help you. So the moment that you believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside your heart. And now you have the Spirit. But here's the reality. You can have the Spirit without being filled with the Spirit. You can have the Spirit without being led by the Spirit. And because that's, that's often because we don't want to hand over control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. And you know, I wonder if the disciples had the same kind of trepidation that we do, you know, about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've called this message, who's afraid of the Holy Spirit? Because the answer is actually a lot of us, you know, we are afraid to let him lead us, guide us and fill us. And um, this series, the reason I'm here, represents a bit of a working relationship between three churches. There's a church in Waterloo, WMB Church. Um, their speaking pastor, I've been coaching him in preaching for a number of years. And then we've got the well here in Bimbrook, and then, of course, my church in Gateway. We're working together on this series, and uh, <clears throat> Kevin is speaking, as you know, at Gateway this morning, and he's going to be talking this morning on the subject of being led by the Holy Spirit. So I'm kicking off a new series for you that you guys are calling Filled, and we're working here together, which is so exciting to be working with friends in faith. So who's afraid of the Holy Spirit? I uh, met with a couple the other day who go to Gateway, and they're fairly new, and they asked if I would come to their place and talk because this guy, this gentleman, he kind of grew up in church, but it was a Christian household. It was a church context where they didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit very much. In fact, they talked a lot about the God, the Father. They talked a lot about God, the Son. They talked a lot about the whole, you know, the Holy Bible, <laughs> but they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And so this guy was a little bit worried about it. And he said, is the Holy Spirit going to make me speak in tongues? I don't want to do that. Is he going to make me fall over and shake? And that evening, we looked at some of the verses of the Bible where he could see that there is nothing to fear. In my pastoral experience, I've, I've experienced a lot of people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. People say, Pastor, I love Jesus. Jesus is so gentle. Jesus is so kind. He's cool and calm and collected. I can trust Jesus with anything. But Pastor, the Holy Spirit, mm, I'm afraid he's a little bit too unpredictable for me. He's going to make me out of control. He's going to push me to do something that I just don't want to do. There's going to be some mayhem in my life if I let the Holy Spirit lead me. He's going to make a fool out of me. I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I yield my life into his hands. And if this is your worry, I want you to just notice in the passage what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. Now, the word that is translated another here is a really important word for us to understand what Jesus is saying. It's a small word in the original Greek language. It's the word allos. The word allos means another of the same kind. Now, there are two main Greek words for another uh, in the New Testament. There's the word allos here, but there's also the word heteros. 
Allos means another of the same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind. So let me try to explain why Jesus used this particular word, allos, here to describe the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to do this by taking you back in time. So many of you will remember this. Years ago, if you wanted to listen to music, you actually went to this place called the music store. Okay, some of you will remember this. The younger people won't. But back in the year 2005, for example, if you went to the store, you would buy a CD. And let's say you were playing that CD in your car with your friend. And your friend says, I really like that music. You might say, well, I'll give it to you as a present since you'd like it so much. Don't worry, I'll get another one. So the next day you go to the store and, uh, and you say to the person behind the counter, do you remember that CD that I bought here? Um, I'd like another one. What you're saying is, I would like another one exactly like the one I just bought and gave to my friend. That's the Greek word allos. <laughs> it's another of the same kind. Now, suppose you took that CD and you, you brought it home, you popped it into your CD player, and you found that it was all scratched up and it didn't work. So then you take it back to the store and you say, this CD is messed up, I'd like another one. Now, if you spoke ancient Greek, you would use a different word for another in that situation. You would now use the Greek word heteros, because heteros means another of a different kind, because you don't want another CD exactly like the scratched up one you just got, right? You're not saying, give me another scratched up one. You're saying, give me another one that is different, one that is not scratched. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. The another spoken of here is John, in John 14, is the word allos. And the Greek word allos means another of the same kind. And so here's the deal. Whatever you might say about Jesus, you might say that Jesus is gentle, wouldn't you? You might say that Jesus has respect for other people. You might even say that Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. These friends are the very same character traits that you can expect as you get to know the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit operate the same way in your life. These are different persons in the Godhead, for sure. But they have the same character. They have the same manners. They have the same mission. And so the Holy Spirit is not another who is vastly different than Christ, but he's another of the same kind. And Jesus is telling his fearful disciples here in John 14, the same way that you feel about me as you've gotten to know me as your leader, your helper, your counselor, your comforter, this is the way that you can now feel about the Holy Spirit that I will send to you. And you can trust him in the way that you've trusted me. Don't be afraid, Jesus says, to trust the Holy Spirit. And he says the same thing to you and me. So, have we been a bit nervous that if we trust the Holy Spirit, he'll ship us off to Africa and make us a missionary against our will, you know? Afraid that he'll give you the gift of prophecy and you're like, hmm, I'm not quite comfortable with that. Fearful that he'll 
push you to witness more at work and make a fool out of you, you know? And like me, maybe you don't want to be any weirder than you already are. Now look at I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit will just put you in the comfort zone because that wasn't Jesus, was it, right? Jesus did challenge people. In fact, Jesus, his calling wasn't just to make people comfortable, obviously. But what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is not someone who's completely different than Christ. He's another who's just like him that you can trust. As many of you know, this is the time of the year called Eastertide in the Christian calendar. This is where you carry on the celebrations of Easter until the next big day on the Christian calendar, which is Pentecost Sunday. And back in the days when Jesus died and then rose again, the first Christians were waiting there in the upper room, praying constantly, eagerly anticipating when Jesus would make good on his promise to send the Holy Spirit, who would be poured upon them to give them power for righteous living and for effective service. And it was then in Acts chapter 2 where Luke records that the promised Holy Spirit came and he filled the believers and he led the believers and they shared the good news of Jesus all over the known world. And so here now is we're journeying between Easter and Pentecost Sunday. It's my prayer that you're going to adopt the same kind of attitudes that those first Christians had that you're going to be longing for the Holy Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh, to lead you to new heights of his love, his joy, his peace. Set aside, I encourage you, set aside some extra time these days just to be with Jesus in prayer, to know that you've been given the Holy Spirit because you believe in Jesus. And now seek him this Eastertide for the power that only he can provide. Now, with the time we have remaining, I'm just going to ask a question that goes like this. How is the Holy Spirit then like Jesus? You may be wondering, and there's so many ways, but I'm going to just mention three. The first way is that he gently grows us into greater levels of holiness. See, we call him the Holy Spirit because he brings holiness into our lives. Just as Jesus challenged his followers to become more like him, the Holy Spirit is in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Notice that this passage is filled with comments about obeying Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus tells us, keep my commands. In verse 21, he speaks of the one who keeps my commands and um, has my commands and keeps them. In verse 24, he says, obey my commands teaching. And so we get the notion here that Jesus expects us to obey him, to keep his commands, but we also see that he knows that we can't do it. See, this is the dilemma. And so he gives us his spirit, but here's the deal. We have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We have to surrender to him. We have to invite him in prayer to fill us and use us to give us an ability that he has to be patient and loving and kind. Don't lean then upon your own capacity in any given moment, but learn to be moment by moment dependent upon him to give you his ability as a gift of grace. Notice that Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. 
And so we see that the power of the Holy Spirit is not something that you can earn, okay? You don't get the power of the Holy Spirit because you've done a bunch of good things. You get the power of the Holy Spirit given to you as a free gift. It's a gift of his enablement that you receive by faith. On our church's website, we have a prayer on the Jesus page that goes like this. And it's a prayer that you can pray multiple times in your day, something like this. And it goes like this. Dear Jesus, you know, in any moment when you're struggling or you have a decision to make or you're challenged or your kids are driving you crazy, dear Jesus, <coughs> I know that only you can live the Christian life as it should be lived. I put you first in my life and I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, in this moment, I need you to express your, and then mention something that you need from Jesus. You need his love for your kids in that moment. You need his patience for your spouse in that moment. You need his kindness in that moment for your coworker. Or his gentleness, or his purity, or his self-control. All these things Jesus has to give to you by his Holy Spirit. And you say this, Jesus, I receive your ability now as a free gift of grace through faith. Thank you for giving me this ability to follow you. Amen. See, friends, get this. It's not imitation that we need to follow Jesus into holiness. It's impartation. Not imitation. Oh, Jesus, you're so great. What would Jesus do? I'll do that. You don't have the power to do that any more than I do. It's impartation. It's receiving in that moment all that Jesus has. His power, his ability. We need more even than just Jesus' death on the cross as an example to us. We need Jesus to live his resurrection life within as our empowerment. So take this coat here that I have. I could hold out this coat, couldn't I? And I could say, coat... I own you. I have certain expectations of you to obey me. I'm going to tell you to do something, Coat, and I expect you to obey. Coat, raise up your arm. Raise up your sleeve. See, now I could try every trick in the book, couldn't I? I could yell at it. I could cajole it. I could guilt it. But you and I know that that's not going to happen. Because there's what? There's no life in the coat enabling it to do what I'm asking it to do. And some of you have been deriding yourself all of your Christian life saying something like this. Self, raise up your morals. Self, raise up your attitude. Self, raise up your standards. Self, raise up your thought life. Self, raise up your marriage. Self, raise up yourself. And you need to realize that there is no way that's going to happen because there's no life in you apart from the Holy Spirit that is capable of doing that which you demand it to do. But there's good news. When I put on the coat and I say, coat, raise up your sleeve. It works. It happened. Why did it work that time? It's not because of the coat. 
It's because of the life that's in the coat. In verse 19, Jesus puts it this way, because I live, you also will live. We need the resurrection life of Jesus to live like Jesus. We are empty coats apart from God's power. Jesus says it this way in the upper room, apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, are you at the place where you will surrender, where you will bend and bow and yield, where you will abandon yourself to his loving influence? You will never, I can promise you, you will never regret surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit because he's just like Jesus, gently growing you into deeper levels of holiness. As it says on the screen, Jesus living in me by his Holy Spirit is the life that enables me to do what I could never do. So how else is the Holy Spirit like Jesus? Well, here's another way. He loves us more than we ever dreamed. So I was at a worship service a few weeks ago, and there was this repeated song that they sang over and over again. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. And as I was listening to it, I just felt in my heart like, okay, Jesus, I get it. You love me. That's great. Thank you. You love me. That's awesome. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to my heart and said, Steve, no, no, you don't get it. You need to rest in my love more. And so I released myself into that moment of worship. And as I sang those words with that intentionality of being loved by God, of releasing to his love, I just felt those familiar ways, waves of God's love wash over my soul. See, in the upper room discourse on the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the one who loves me will be loved by my, my father and I will love them and show myself to them. God loves us and we love God. The Holy Spirit helps to facilitate that loving encounter and gives us the motivation then that we need to live a holy life. A couple of years ago, I was in the car with my daughter, Emma. Emma's about 24 years old. She was about 18 at the time. And uh, Emma's driving along. We're having a good chat. And all of a sudden, this, the car starts chugging. Tuk, 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 and I said, pull over. So she pulled over just in time for the car to die. What's wrong, we wondered, until we looked at the gas gauge. The red light was on, the needle was on empty, and I asked as nicely as a father can muster in this moment, did you notice that the car was out of gas? Turns out it was a dumb question. She did not notice, which is why we're sitting on the side of the road. As it turns out, my daughter learned that day, you need this thing called gas in the car if you want it to run. And as Christians, the gas that we run on, so to speak, is the love of God. If you go for days and months and years and you do not encounter the love of God, I would say it will be difficult for you. It may even be impossible for you to live the Christian life more and more. It will become a duty it will be a chore. It will not be your delight, which was his intent. How then do we receive the love? Who is the one who gives this love to us? Romans chapter five says that God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
who has been given to us. So we don't have to be afraid of him. In fact, just the opposite. Just like Jesus, (coughs) the Holy Spirit gently helps us to be holy and he loves us more than we can imagine. And here's the final thing. The Holy Spirit will empower us for faithful service just like Jesus empowered his disciples. After his baptism where the Holy Spirit descended upon him, Jesus said this, I don't say anything the Father doesn't tell me to say. Filled by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. And it was there in the upper room that Jesus says, you need to rely upon the same Holy Spirit that I was given upon my baptism. Jesus says, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And this means that Jesus will teach us and will lead us by his Holy Spirit that we might share the good news of Jesus, that we might build up his local church. And friends, this is something that I had to learn, especially, I mean, I continue to learn it, but I had to really learn it when I was a young man. I did so poorly in my speaking as an intern in Niagara Falls as an Alliance Church. I was stumbling so much in front of the church whenever I kind of got up to speak, so unable to do the ministry that God had called me to, my senior pastor pulled me into his office one day and asked if I needed to go back to my home in Owen Sound for a few days and decide if I really wanted to be a pastor, if I really wanted to continue this internship. I was crushed. I had already gone to Bible college for three years. I thought, wow, three years of my life wiped out. And so later on that week, I took a day off and I was on the shores of Lake Ontario in a park, just reading the scripture, praying and fasting and crying and seeking God. I can't do this, I cried out to God. And you know what? I was right. I was out of gas. I desperately needed the Holy Spirit to give me his ability in ministry. On that day, desperate and broken, thirsty and weary, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And all I can tell you is, as promised in Romans 5, God poured out his love into my heart by his Holy Spirit. But I had to get to that place of desperation where I said, I can't do this. I can't go on without you. Soon after, I was required to speak At the church where I was interning on a Sunday morning, my poor pastor had to give me one opportunity to speak. He chose a Sunday in the summer when the fewest people would be there. And all I can tell you is that Sunday, there was something different going on. See, I wasn't relying in my power at the time, but tapping into something higher than myself, something greater. People were genuinely surprised. Who is this guy? Where did this guy come from? See, it was that summer that I learned that I have nothing to fear from the Holy Spirit. And so as we draw now near to the table, as we draw now to the time where we take of the bread and eat it, remembering the body that was broken, as we take of the cup that reminds us of the blood that was spilled, Let us keep in mind the characteristics of Jesus that draw us to the table 
As we picture Christ on the cross, we see his gentleness. We see his kindness. We are drawn to his self-sacrifice. We're drawn to his mercy, aren't we? These are the same characteristics that the Holy Spirit is longing to bring into our lives because he's just like Jesus. And so as you eat, as you drink in remembrance of what Jesus has done for you, here's my request. Here's your application today. As you eat, as you drink, would you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh with his presence, with his power, so that you might have an ability to follow him, to serve him more effectively, more fully this week. So if you're able, I'll invite you to stand and our girls will come to lead us in worship. I'm gonna invite you to listen and pray and uh, go ahead, stand up with me if you don't mind. And, uh, and then what you're gonna do, I think, and this is, I think, your tradition, is just to come forward during the worship set at some point. When you're, whenever you're ready, take of the bread, take of the cup, eat and drink as you're ready to do so. And uh, if you would like for someone to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit before you leave today, um, I know that uh, Eugene would love to do that. I would be happy to do that. Don't hesitate to say, would you pray for me? If, if, if someone were to ask you the question, when's the last time you were prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what would you say? Would you say, well, actually it was last week? Or would you say, I think it's been years since someone prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you might even say, I don't think I've ever been prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as it demonstrates in the book of Acts. And so I hope that you'll take the opportunity if you would like to be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, would you prepare our hearts for communion? Is there any sin that we need to confess as we draw near to the cross where Jesus died? Is there any lie that we need to renounce? Is there any relationship that we need to restore? Oh, Lord Jesus, we give you the opportunity now to examine our hearts. Jesus, we know that only you can live the Christian life as it should be lived. We put you first in our lives and we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come. Holy Spirit in power among us. Would you manifest your love in this moment, we pray. We receive your ability as a free gift of grace through faith. Thank you for giving us your ability to follow you. Amen. Come when you're ready.